0: listeners, today we're doing something a little bit different, but I promise you're going to want to stick around because it is something really quite special. This is the first episode in an occasional new series that you're going to be hearing over the next year or so. It's called This Is What A Generation Sounds Like, and we are very, very excited about it.
1: These episodes are personal stories from young Europeans tackling a broad range of issues that affect young people across our continent. We're making them in cooperation with Allianz Kulturstiftung, an independent not-for-profit cultural foundation committed to strengthening cohesion in Europe using the tools of art and culture.
0: Josh and his father Franco wrote to us from deep in the south of Italy. Josh is a professor of many things and his father Franco is a restaurant owner and an entrepreneur. It's a coming-of-age story. It's two coming-of-age stories, actually, at very different stages of Josh and Franco's lives.
1: And we're handing the microphone over to them this week. This story was co-produced by our producer Katz Laszlo and Josh Prezioso. And this episode is probably one not to listen to with the kids because there's a bit of sexual content and strong language.
2: Hey daddy. Hi love. So here we are. How do you feel? Honestly, I've been nervous. I feel you. So, um, let me do the talking then, okay? Go ahead, my son. Introductions first. I'm Josh, and this is my dad, Franco, over the phone. I'm honestly reading some notes, because I'm quite nervous too. So, um, so far, we've introduced ourselves as a traditional dad and son duo. There is yet another story, though. We are both, in fact, um, gay, homosexuals. Both my dad and I. We both come from the tiniest village in the south of Italy you can think of, where this bond was once a shame, a seen in a disease even. This is not the story we want to share with you, though. Right, Dad? At all, Josh. This is a story of friendship, pride, understanding and empathy. We are Josh and Franco, and this is our story. My father and I Both grew up in Ostoni, a small town in Puglia, right on the high hill of Italy's Boots. You might have heard of it, it's a cool place to go now. But that wasn't always the case, and we're not tourists here.
1: The ground is red, it's beautiful. The colour in the moment is, I think, the best in the year, in May. Anything is green and red and yellow, many colours. The smell is beautiful. The ground from the flowers, from the grass, butterfly and fly, and and smell from the sea. Also the from, smell from olive tree. Oh, it's so beautiful. When you live in, in the same place for many years, uh, shit. And the people of Ostuni, young generation, so sad and uh, I don't like it, it's nothing. After, when they go outside and return, say, oh, Ostuni is my heart. It's so beautiful, it's so romantic, it's so... vissuto, come si dice way.
2: Wow, uh, vissuto... Like, you know those terms you can't really translate? I would literally translate as lived. You can tell that there's been a life there. Lives have definitely been lived here. And we're here to tell you about ours. Today, we're openly telling a story together. But it definitely wasn't always like that. It was a voyage for us both, and you hear it in our voices. Sometimes they get blasphemous, unprofessional, vulgar, even. We start from when my father, Franco, married my mother, back in the 1980s. Dad, a question maybe everyone would want to ask. Why did you get married in the first place?
1: Um, because I like family. I like family. I want, in my life, I think I want five children, say my family. I like children, I think. Uh, my wife she when I, I see for the first time I think this is a saint. She every time I touch woman she laugh. I touch man she laugh. Never she say what are you doing. And I think this is maybe I think this is the mom I want.
2: His sexuality was um, an open secret in a town. And people questioned my mother for marrying him including her own family. But she did it anyway. You might wonder why you won't hear my mum's voice in the story. I asked her to join, but she preferred to stay out of it. My dad got what he wanted. First my sister, and then me. My parents described me as a rather silent, curious child. But inside of me, there was another world, full of energies, that I felt I had to hide. As I grew up, those energies inevitably started to come out, I drew a lot. I created things. I remember I was very great at imitating people. All my teachers, I could imitate perfectly. But I really, because of my dad, I also had learned what to avoid in terms of movements, in terms of, you know, it was also very self-harmaphobic. I said, okay, this is not maybe good. Maybe you should avoid this. You should avoid that. I played football, even though I hated it. But that was the sport of Southern Italians. And I had to pretend I liked it just for integration. I was I had to be a chameleon. I could sing, dance and paint at home and then play, shout and spit on the ground outside. I loved I loved skirts and high heels, honestly. those were my favorites. I used to put on my head, Uh, sort of a t-shirt like with long sleeves so that basically i could put like sort of a long hair because one uh, back then uh, my hair was very short and then i loved to cross my legs and walk like you know along with sort of a catwalk or or something like that you know it is music in my head my friends call me josh but my father i'm josue in a lot of ways I was different to my dad. I was the first person in my family interested in school. Neither of my parents finished secondary school education. So I put books myself. But quickly my dad started worrying about some of the similarity he recognized. My 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 problem is
1: I think I understand just were gay when I, maybe 2 3 years I say, oh, i very, I very sad because I say, now Joshua, same me, you know, the people violent him and say, are you gay? Your father gay? And, oh, this is for me very sad.
2: In the same way that I both did and didn't know yet that I was gay, I also did and didn't really know that my dad was gay. People talked about him, about me, I mostly squashed those thoughts. Back then, was when I was 11. Men, for the first time in history in our history, were allowed to wear bags. You know those little bags where you put phones in. So I said, "Yes, I can finally wear a fucking bag." So I persuaded, after lots of conversations, my grandma to buy it. I said, "Okay, done, got it." I go down the stairs. I'm walking. And my grandma, she goes out in the balcony and she's looking at me. And I was like having my moment, you know, I was walking, blah, blah, blah. And she goes in the balcony. She's looking at me for a couple of minutes. And then she says, you're walking like your dad. But in such a discriminatory way, I was having my moment. So to me, it could be New York. Okay. But she destroyed that. That was always the thing with my grandma. With my dad, he was always really humiliating in a sense. He came to me and he asked. Why are doing this? It's wrong. Don't do it. Sometimes he was a sort of a friend. he say, oh my God, you look so cute and that. But I know he was just a bullshit. So I really never knew like how to behave, honestly. It was so painful all the time because I really it felt nice, but not right. There was a part of my father that wanted his manhood to be proved by having a stereotypically manly son. And I didn't give him that.
1: In myself, also, I want just way not gay because it's, it's stupid. But the beginning, no, no. I want the people to think, ah, look, the gay make a a, a man. He make just a man, you know. He have many woman.
2: And my dad, I remember, he, like he had this sort of idea of these iconic men, like with a suit, going to office, going to the bank, and of course he was a completely different stereotype. But that's not his idea of masculinity anymore. I
1: understand now, I don't like this person. I think when you affrontare, come si dice in English? Face. When you face the life, this is for me, man. It's not because you fuck a woman and you are strong and this, no. When you face the life in every question, money, work, contact with people, this is for me now, this is man for me. Now I'm very happy my son is Joshua me it's gay, just he's
2: happy, I'm happy. That's a big shift. How did we get here? I think I need to tell you about my dad's restaurant. The answer might be there. I say, I want beginning a new life and
1: I open this restaurant. The name I like every time, Locanda, La Locanda, La Locanda. But I have a friend from Taranto, a gay couple. He say to me, why you not call your restaurant the Seven of Sins. Oh, I say, I love, yes, I want this. And old center for Nostuni is just old people. Come
2: Widows.
1: Widows, okay. And the old people say, outside you say, does Locanta, The Seven of Sins. <gasps> oh my God. And this restaurant makes just sense. <laughs> I'm very happy, I say, <laughs> good.
2: The neighborhood around my dad's restaurant was the old center, a web of narrow streets filled with the smell of basil and tomatoes. Neighbors called up to each other, mostly old widows. Yes, widows. Italy's got a lot of old people thriving on the Mediterranean diet, and well, the men die first. You walk through a gate. La Lucanda, seven cents. Painted above it, there's a courtyard. People drinking, chatting, flirting around a fire pit. It smells of wood smoke and hot summer air. You go inside. It's completely different to anything else in the town. The space feels religious, filled with traditional ornaments. But the music is loud. And then there's my dad welcoming you. And the smell is uh, fried from oil. Rich tomato sauces. Fermented wine. I make
1: uh, pasta, little here. I go outside, and the people English say, "Oh, beautiful! What you're doing?" I want. I say, "Come inside. You're testing." I make gnocchi.
2: I make cavatelli. Simple, traditional local food. Coffee bubble through a percolator, no machine. And you know, being the Seven Sins, the sinful sandwiches on the menu. Gluttony. It's very big. Oh my God!
1: I look and eat this.
2: Stinginess. Small one. And the bestseller, lust.
1: And I make dick with bread. <laughs> I make myself.
2: First, my dad baked a dick-shaped loaf of bread. He filled it with salami and squirted mayonnaise on the head. He told kids who ordered it that it was too spicy for them to avoid awkwardness. And one time, one old woman, she
1: said she wants lust sandwich. Oh my God! Because I make a dick, you know, with balls and and I cut off and I bring. She say, "Why you why you cut? I want uh, together." She make. Oh my God! And on, uh, on the uh, head from the dick, I do mayonnaise, you know, the cream. Yeah, and she say, "I want this." No, no, you cut the dick. Why? Oh my God! <laughs>
2: The restaurant was a place where sexuality wasn't judged. A place with a reputation and occasional themed gay nights. Beyond a room filled with people eating, is a second room, separated by an alluring curtain. Velvety red, so very lusty, (laughs) very (laughs) lusty. And in order to go through to the loo, you have to go through the curtain. So it was a sort of an invitation. This room was all red velvet and sofas. A sort of a boudoir. I remember touching these sofas and so on and so forth, and my mum just told me, Josh, never sleep, never sleep there, because sometimes I used to go to the restaurant. You're pregnant. Yeah, yeah, I can get pregnant, like, right away, because I remember my mum. Uh, in spite of the very explicitly central decor, my father insists the sex people had in the velvet room was spontaneous, organic.
1: I do make the red uh, room because I think I'm sex. I'm Iris, red is my colour, you know.
2: But maybe (laughs) Freud would tell you just that you you just knew, but not on a conscious level. The restaurant and its velvet room grew popular. People would come from neighbouring towns, towns several hours' drive away, and sometimes unsuspecting tourists just wandered in. Rumours spread of sex parties orgies, there was obviously gossip. So of course I knew something was going on, but it was also a cognitive dissonance where I really didn't know. I had this moment when I was playing outside with my friends football. So you have to imagine a very like street boys from very poor families and me playing on the streets. And all of a sudden, while my dad is walking, coming back home after his job, like the whole street completely muted. There was a huge silence of course there was shame. So my immunity as a boy of the street completely um, got negated. And I could see my, this man walking, saying it was my dad. That was causing some sort of a shame, but I couldn't quite understand. I didn't even really know what sex was yet. It took me years before I figured out what was actually going on in my dad's restaurant, and who he really was. I remember when I was around 15 or 16, I received my first laptop with internet connection. And for some reason, I, I googled la locanda de ese I was so curious. I said, okay, let me see, like, what the motherfucker, you know, is doing on the internet. And I found a big blog full of people writing about this interesting and very zoo like experiences of saying oh my god the boss of this restaurant the owner of this restaurant he and it did describe basically um homosexual bisexual orgies and so on so forth also i could see comments in english so i said okay it so my dad is becoming someone i'm not sure whether i'm liking that holy shit! my dad is some kind of an international sex celebrity what the hell do i do with that I had a sort of a panic attack, I think I can situate that pain around my stomach and hurt. Well, okay. It was on the internet, and the internet couldn't be wrong. At the same time, I was just starting to have my first homosexual experiences. I had my classmate, who had been my classmate for lots of years, and that was the very first person I experimented sex with. And honestly, I had bipolar sensation of gratification and discovery, but at the same time, also shame. I was doing something shameful. You should know that this was a pretty traditional Catholic town, not a town where you felt comfortable to be a young gay boy figuring himself out. Certainly not a place where you would have expected a sex positive, gender bending restaurant. But you should also know that The Seven Sins really was a restaurant. Families ate alongside people looking for pleasure. You're probably wondering how exactly they worked. There's plenty of very valid questions to ask, but my dad doesn't seem to really want to explain. So let's just say, things happened.
1: But very, very spontaneous people, nothing bad. After the people, in you know, soon speak, oh, in a Franco restaurant, gay night, uh, origin sex, it's not true, you know. The people with a small
2: mind think this. Why are you denying that? It's true. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Why are you still denying? <laughs> that we are in a press release now that you can say that, <laughs> and you had the best fun. But honestly, I think that was also the moment when AIDS was really spreading across the city. It was becoming a great pandemic. A lot of my dad's friend also died because of HIV, right, Dad? So my dad was really also associated with those, you know, demons. Also, people were approached by, by mafia people just to pay, you know, uh, money and so on and so forth. So it was really a time of danger where Europe was not still a thing as it is today. So Italy was really isolated and especially the South was so isolated. There were these forms of self-government when my dad was one of the mayor's, I suppose. It was the Ministry of Sexual Entertainment, maybe, and progress. It was also the 1990s. Waves of immigrants were arriving in the South of Italy. From all across the Balkans and North Africa. My dad had one of the few places to welcome them. That's how he learned languages. Austin's people of all ages began to seek my dad out as someone to confide in. About the sexual escapades, about their dreams, but also about the troubled families, domestic abuse. He started to wonder whether the Seven Sins really was the most sinful place in the neighbourhood. What I
1: think from South Italy, I think in every place in the world, you can find positive and negative people. It's not the place, it's yourself. I love my city, I love my place, I love Puglia. I love, I love. And I say again, in every place the world, the people you can find intelligent, stupid, You can find open mind, not open mind. In every place, you understand me?
2: The more I came into my own sexuality, the clearer it became to me that my father was a kind of a trusted secular priest, hearing confessions from people of any age, color, sex, the whole town. In fact, Dresden used to be a monastery. and my dad recognized its magnetism. They came, flirted, and then, of course, they wanted a place to explore They last. He started to buy properties, furnished them, built an entire business that started at a table and ended in a bed. He's a brilliant businessman with no degree. In fact, I use him as a case study for my students. You would think that as a young boy, Figuring out I was gay, it'd be ideal to have a gay father who had spent serious time building a safe haven for people to feel free in their sexuality. But it wasn't. He found it difficult, tried to encourage me to act normal, and I didn't love the idea of him being gay either. Ultimately, the world's prejudice seeped into our personal lives. And stereotypes had decided for us. To me, everything changed when I started going to an art school in another town, the amazing town where nobody knew anything about me and the best time of my life. And that place, I had lots of people love me or appreciated me, and that was the very moment when I think I was born. I felt cool, honestly, I really felt cool. <laughs> I grew into myself, learned that I liked having my hair long, that earrings suited me. I studied all over the world, found out I loved to teach. For my father, he started to fall into himself when he moved out of his marriage with my mother. In that moment, I think he realized he was a dad. It's good for myself when I go for my wife.
1: 18 years ago, I live alone, and I analyze my life alone. You, you have to help yourself in the old generation. When you come out, it's okay. I understand my wife now. I'm I'm very sorry for, for this question. I'm very confused, you know? But now I'm happy I have two beautiful children, you know? And very intelligent.
2: Now, for the first time, each member of my family was living alone. We had time to reflect. And I started to wonder how my mother had gone along with this. I was around 21, I was studying in Boston back then, and I asked my mum, How couldn't you understand he was gay? Like, how couldn't you? And she told me, listen, I loved him so much, and I came from such an experienced background that to me, it was not possible. And I understood that, because also when you love a person and you associate to that person something bad, you never really think that is the truth. So I think I was living in negation, or maybe in blindness, because my dad was my dad, and being gay was not something a dad has to have. My mum and dad are friends now. Like I said, she's pretty traditional. She perfectly irons shirts, avoids people's judgement and the evil eye. I tried to explain this project to her, but I doubt she really understood it. To her, it's another one of me and my dad's mad schemes. But sometimes I wonder if she's the most queer person in the family. In the end, she was the one who fell in love with my dad. She decided to have children with him, first my sister, and then me, five years later. By then, she knew exactly who her husband was. As for my dad and I, I honestly didn't know him very well. Maybe it was too hard to know him, to see him as a father, or at least as a traditional one, because we had no examples of families like ours. But when I finally moved back, I got to know so many hidden families that shared the same experience. That network of people gave us permission. I think when we went through the process of forgiving, because, you know, I stopped looking at my dad as my dad, but as a human being, and as such, he does make mistakes, but he also brings a lot to the table. As a gay father and son, people sometimes use a story to fit into this idea that gayness is hereditary or some kind of contagious disease. We've gotten that a lot. To those people, this is what we like to say. (laughs) I'm
1: sorry for you. I think...
2: I'm sorry that you believe this. I'm not here to convince you. I wish I could convince you um, and I hope that one day you might change your mind. In my dad's words, I still feel the sort of anger or tension to proof. So that would be my generational change. I think the wrong is like when he goes to society and he gets manipulated in a way that it becomes a problem. I have to be like yeah, intellectually honest and I don't know, honestly, I don't know the answer. But the fact that I might have inherited from my dad, it's fine. I have inherited so many other features of my dad, including this. What's the problem with that? It might be. Why should it account as a disease? It's the stigmatisation that makes it a disease. I can't imagine a world without homophobia because I was born and I'm still living in, in one. It's a job on a daily basis to just defend ourselves from this fear that has been created. But when you take the responsibility to become a person in power, either a politician or a representative, you do all me. But I think this effort of imagining a world without homophobia should be in the mind of other people, to have power, for example, politicians. I can't, so it means that the job is failing. Gay is normal.
1: I think anything what you feel is normal. Respect is important.
2: We both have clear ideas on what we like to see change. Yes.
1: <laughs> to talk is very important.
2: Alors, uh,
1: okay, my father never speak to me, not, not come to me and say, come here, what is the problem? Well, why my father not take my hand and say, come here, my son, come here, don't worry, what is the problem? Now, I think it's important when you open your door from your house, you find love. You have to speak with your son. Why are you doing this? You, you okay? You love this? You have to speak and explain. So, you explain me, let me understand.
2: It's not easy, it's not easy, but you have to trust, you know. There was a beautiful program in Italy, because Italy, you know, got unification very late. And up until the 1950s, 60s, Italian was a different language depending where you came from. There was not a unified language. And there was a beautiful program that was called Non è mai troppo tardi, that means it's never too late, where a teacher went on TV, main channel, and told Italians Italian. That would be beautiful if the main channels of Italy brought Italians back to school of any age to educate ourselves to really the dictation of elementary things, how to behave, how to accept. You know, even my dad, I think, I was listening to him before and is rather skeptical in terms of using gay we are all equal, we are all normal, and so on so forth. I'm not gay. Why can't you say, hi, I'm Frank. I'm gay? Why can't you? So why don't we have one of those programs? It's never too late. Main channel, that would be beautiful. Television becomes educational. Growing up, I couldn't have imagined the life I have now. I didn't have many positive examples. So I thought of my future life as a miserable one. Maybe with a woman I had to lie to. With children like me. Whereas here I am. I have lived all over the world. Studied where I loved. Pursued my dream. Become a professor. I have a boyfriend that I love. Who loves me. Of course it's not perfect. But I have my life together. And Dad. On behalf of all those who appreciate you and also those who made a life harder. I have some words for you. I shall tell you thank you, because thanks to people like you, I can be the gay I am, because you cleared the ground and you had so much less than I have, but yet you made your fight. So I thank you, generationally speaking, because you created a better world thanks to your stubbornness, love of sex, selfishness anything but i will thank you this is really important to me as a as a gay as a son as an admirer because i really admire the work you've done because i think it's been very difficult for you and i hope that society is giving back to you what you deserve thank you is really the word as a son as a gay as a man as a southern man
0: This episode was co-authored by Josh Precioso and me, Katz Laszlo. Josh was your host and production and sound design came from me. Thank you, Josh and Franco, for trusting us with your souls. Invaluable editorial support came from Katie Lee, Dominic Kramer, Andre Popovicu, and Priyanka Shankar. Special thanks to all the studio engineers and delivery people who made it possible to make this intimate story remotely. I'm wondering if there's anything that either of you want to say that you feel is missing or like a question that you wish I was asking you.
1: I want I to want, uh, say you something. What do you think from this? Is this for you new?
0: The Europeans is a podcast from the Awi Europe family. Thank you to Allianz Kulturstiftung, for funding this episode and of course many thanks to our Patreon supporters who are generously keeping this podcast going music was Tarantella del Gargano by Marco Beasley published by Out Here Music Italian Opera by UV Protection Andante from Bach's Italian Concerto performed by Katrin Finch Amore Mio by Mina with Warner Music Italy Tomb by Vesha La Luna e fisarmonica by Ziv Moran Disco Ball by Yevgeny Barduja and of course, the one and only Jim Barn. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions and sound effects from freesound.org.